It's a real joy to be here. There's so many things I want to say to introduce. Do we have like till one? Is that okay if we go till a little late? Three? Excellent. Um, there are so many things I want to say. First, you, you know, Jim mentioned uh, being a, uh, a Christian. Like, that's all I want to be. All I want to be is a Christian. <laughs> like, there's nothing, there's nothing above that. You know, to be numbered among the worshipers of God. That's, that's the highest call. Uh, but then you want to say a husband, a father, and as of three weeks ago, a grandfather for the 11th time. So I'm pretty excited about that. A pop-pop. That's what I am, a pop-pop. Um, I am really grateful uh, for this church for a number of reasons. Uh, one, I know I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, but from the way you all sang and participated this morning, it doesn't feel like I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, that's nothing against Greenville, South Carolina, Carolina but I, I lived in Charlotte for six years, and um, Julie and I helped plan the church there, and um, we used to come down and make our yearly trek to Greenville to, to get our home school books. And um, so a little bit about home, you know, about Greenville and uh, your enthusiasm this morning and your expressiveness. I'm wondering, like, if I should even give this message, but I trust the Lord will use it. But I was greatly encouraged by uh, your um, responsiveness to, to God's mercy this morning in his word. Um, I also want to thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, Sovereign Grace Ministries is a group of about 95 churches, mostly in the United States. And uh, the, as Jim and Corey have shared, your encouragement, enthusiasm for them going to, you know, start a church in Melbourne is, is a sign of, of your love to see the gospel advance, to, to you know, at, at sacrifice to yourself. And um, that's what advancing the gospel means. It doesn't mean that we get to hang around with our best friends forever. I mean, I wish it did, but, well, we will. I mean, that's true, it will, but not in this life. You know, there, Julie and I have been part of Sovereign Grace for 30 years. And we've, we've had some, you know, separations geographically. And uh, it's painful, it's always painful. But we've always seen the fruit that comes from that. So thank you. Thank you for your, your encouragement and enthusiasm. If you're struggling with that, let me just say, this is what life in the kingdom is. It, it's not, um, you know, just, just working with, you know, being in the same church with the same people we love and just kind of forming this holy huddle and, you know, just don't have anybody else come in and, you know. It's, it's, it's outward. It's, it's, we can't keep from telling other people what Jesus has done. And so, at times that takes us to other cities. At times it takes us to other cultures. We're just getting ready to uh, see three families, four families, uh, you know, move to Tunisia in, in uh, Africa um, to, to plant a church there. There's some people there already, uh, but to basically pr preach the gospel there in a country that's not really that open. So, thank you. Thank you. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I just want to give you a little music update because that's what I do. I do the music for Sovereign Grace, which means uh, I oversee the albums we do. I oversee training uh, of like our songwriters and our, our worship leaders and, and that kind of stuff. And then I help us develop a biblical understanding of how we use music in the church to bring glory to God. That's, that's what I do. Worship is kind of a misnomer, and I'll, I'll talk some about that in a moment. Um, but just for your information... Um, uh, a couple weeks ago, I just got back from Australia, and it was just great to see how, how 
Churches are singing our music in Australia. It's just really crazy. Uh, I just think it's crazy. Um, we just had a conference in August called the Worship God Conference, and we recorded a live album there, which is coming out November 15th, which I am very, very, very excited about, uh, because it's, it's uh, you know, we had 1,800 people there singing their lungs out, um, and they're mostly musicians, so it's really loud. And um, we're, I was very pleased with the songs that came about on this project. Uh, it's designed around the flow of the gospel, the, the whole album is 15 songs, two of them we've, sung, we've used before, um, but I'm very excited about that. And then we're also working on a new hymns project, which is coming out in April, Lord willing, and uh, so that's what I'm doing. Alright, this morning we're going to look at Colossians 3. If you'd turn there, Colossians 3, and the, the title of the message is, Why Do We Sing? <laughs> um, especially, Why Do We Sing? as Christians when we gather. Daniel Levitin is a scientist and a musician who wrote a book called This Is Your Brain on Music. That was a very appealing title to me. I read the book and really enjoyed it. And in it, he attempts to explain how we experience music and why it plays such an important role in our lives. And in one chapter called My Favorite Things, he talks about why we like the music we do. And there I learned that in our first year, we prefer music that we were exposed to in the womb. So if you want your child to grow up like in, you know, pop country, you just put those speakers right there in your womb and play them every night. And when they come out, by the time they're one year old, they'll be liking pop country. Now they may lose that desire, that preference, that, you know, after a few years. By age two, we're more influenced by the music of our culture. Uh, which means that a two-year-old in China has different musical tastes and sense than a two-year-old in India and a two-year-old in New York because they're already picking up the, the, the tones and the sequences and, and what they mean. We prefer simple music at first, but then we get bored with it and it's uh, tired of its predictability and we want something more interesting, which is why nursery rhymes are so simple because we're learning about music and how it works and, and that's, that's why we, we have nursery runs. As teens, our hyperactive, uh, hormonally affected brains uh, attach exaggerated significance to everything that happens. And so, it's true, isn't it? And so, the music we like as teenagers, we tend to like for the rest of our lives. Now, I'm 56. I still like the music that I liked 40 years ago. It's kind of odd. And I used to make fun of my parents or wonder, you know, why did they like the music back in the 40s? That's so horrible. And, and now I'm doing the same thing. But the good thing is it's coming back. <laughs> you know, and actually, a lot of it never left. I mean, you know, I meet 15-year-olds. Yeah, the Beatles. Yeah, I love the Beatles. Really? Uh, you know, the, and they're, they're naming all these songs that came out when I was in high school. And it's great. You know, we kind of share those experiences. So... Um, now, here's what I've learned is you don't have to have a degree in music to know what kind of music you like. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have gone to school to learn like what good music is and what bad music is. We have strong preferences about music with no musical knowledge. So I'm, I've, I've hung around with 20-somethings and said, you know, hey, hey, let me know. What, what do you listen to? What, you know, what sounds good to you these days? And I put it on and I think, that's horrible. 
that, like there's no, it doesn't make any sense, it's not going anywhere, it's repetitious. And, you know, I give them all these like five reasons why it's bad. And they just look at me and go, I love it. I said, how do you, do, what do you mean you love it? It's bad. No, no, I love it. And, and I can't, you know, I can't tell them, no, you shouldn't love it. Because they do. And that's how we all are. You know, we can't necessarily define exactly why we like some kinds of music and don't like others, but we do. And the same thing happens with the music that we sing as a church. We all bring our preferences into it. We like certain songs. We like certain beats or no beats. Or we like maybe certain artists or certain tempos. Or maybe we think, you know, well, you can only worship God to fast songs or slow songs or wordy songs or simple songs. We, 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 we all have these preferences. But I think that the important question to ask is not what kind of music do we like, but what kind of music does God like? That, that's really the most important question. How does God think about the music we use to praise Him with? Does He even like it? You know, as I've thought about this, one of my fears is that we'll, we'll get to heaven and you know, we'll find out that God likes opera. <laughs> and, and we'll just be going around singing like this all the time. And I guess we'll love it because we'll have glorified bodies and you know, it'll be fun. But I'm a little concerned. Uh, so, you know, is there a purpose for our singing together that we might be missing? Because we all bring these preferences and these preconceptions into the meeting with us. Why do we worship God in song at all? Why don't we just come together and, and talk to each other? Many of us have preconceptions rooted in past experiences maybe, rooted in things we've been taught, rooted in just in our own preferences and experiences that govern what we expect or don't expect when we sing. And I think this is a topic that is too often neglected by the church. I get paid to study this stuff, so it's great. But I think in general, the church has not addressed this topic in, a, in the way it needs to in a musically addicted culture. Our culture has more, greater accessibility to music than any culture in history. Do you realize there was a time when if you wanted to hear music, you actually had to have live musicians playing it. And that, those days are long gone. Now we can get any music anywhere, anytime. So we need to understand what's happening when we're singing. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to use, use uh, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Now, just for context... In the book of Colossians, Paul, Paul is, is writing to the people of Colossae, telling them that the gospel is the most important thing about you. Or more specifically, Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you. So in chapter 1, he writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God who has reconciled a people to God through his shed blood on the cross. In chapter 2... Paul says that we're to be rooted in Christ. We are to walk in Christ. We're to be built up in Christ. Chapter 3 says we have been raised to life in Christ. And He is our life. So it's all about Jesus and His glory and His uniqueness. And so right now in chapter 3, he starts to move to what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Because he had a concern for the Colossians that they were being influenced by false teachers who were adding things to Christ, saying you needed this and you needed this and you need to do this, don't do that, and thereby taking away from Christ. You can't add anything to Christ and make him better. 
And Paul had a concern for the Colossians. So, so he starts talking about what a Christ-centered, gospel-centered life together looks like in the midst of a pagan society and what role music can play in that process. He, he, he brings up music in the midst of, of applying the gospel to their lives. And what, what we're going to see as we read this passage, study this passage together, is that worshiping God together in song is meant to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel. If you want to get a snapshot of what I'm going to be sharing, that's it. Worshiping God together in song is meant, what, to make us happy? To, to uh, give us a cathartic, emotionally cathartic experience? No, it's meant to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel. Singing is meant to be more than a lifeless ritual, a warm-up to the sermon, a way of drawing crowds, or a platform for frust- frustrated musicians who can't make a full-time gig out of music. It's meant to be more than a personal emotional experience. It's meant to deepen the relationships we enjoy together through the gospel. So let's read Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Actually, I'll read them for you. And this is the most important thing I'll be saying this morning. Right here. This is the word of God. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. And the the two verses we're going to focus on this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. We thank you for these words. We thank you for your word, which speaks life to us, which communicates your heart to us and who you are. Pray that you give me the ability to to communicate clearly what you have said in these verses and open our ears to hear it, open our hearts to love it, open our wills to, to do it. By your grace and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, why do we sing? I'm going to give you three reasons uh, found in this text as to why do we sing. Here's the first. We sing to remember God's word. We sing to remember God's word. Verse 16 starts off. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Now, the Word of Christ most likely refers to the Word about Christ. More broadly, it can refer to the Word of God which points to Christ. It's the Gospel. Let this Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing. 
Everett Ferguson, a theologian, wrote in uh, The Church of Christ, a book he wrote, Christ is the ground and the content of Christian song. Christians sing about Christ. This should seem obvious. If they sing about God, it is especially what God has done through Christ. If about the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit as the gift of Christ. And I would say who also draws attention to Christ. If about instruction to one another, it is the life in Christ. Christ is the reason we sing. And it's the word of Christ that is to dwell in us richly as we sing. Now, I have sometimes been walking through a mall, minding my own business, when all of a sudden I had this amazing smell hit my olfactory senses. And it's not Yankee Candle. It is better. It's sweet. It's doughy. It's sugary. It's cinnamony. And it's a Cinnabon. Do you have those here? Okay, so, like, as I'm, I'm just walking down through, you know, the hall, and uh, it, just be- it just gets better and better as you, as you get nearer. And I'm standing in front of that Cinnabon, and I'm taking in that smell. And it's rich. But you know what I'm thinking? I want that Cinnabon dwelling in me richly. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Because it smells great and everything. It's great. It's, see, the visual, all that stuff, the friendly cashiers. and all. But I want it in here. I want to taste it. I want to feel the sugar, the dough. I can taste it right now. I can feel it going down. And that's, that's where I want it. Well, Paul is saying, that's what the word of Christ should be for us. We don't want just hearing it, smelling it. We just don't want it out there somewhere. And, and that can happen as we come together to sing. We can be singing all these amazing things. And they're not affecting us at all. They're not, they're not dwelling in us richly. Now the Colossians would have understood Paul to be saying that, that God wants this word of Christ to dwell in us continually, richly, so that we're affected by it, we're shaped by it, we're influenced and ruled by the word of Christ. So why the mention of music right now? Well, here's one reason. Music has a universally recognized mnemonic power. Mnemonic means the ability to help you remember, to memorize. That in recent decades, scientists are just beginning to understand. Our brains are hardwired to recognize and categorize and remember patterns in music better than we remember patterns in words alone. So you, you might re- be able to, re- to memorize a paragraph. You might be able to you know, memorize, be able to memorize a poem. But, but all of us like know songs that, that we haven't sung for years. You, you, if I start a line, you'd start singing it. Why? Because that's the power of music. It's seen in Alzheimer's patients who uh, can't remember the name of their spouses. But if you start a tune that they they learned in high school, they joined right in. You know, 70 years ago. They're right there. That's, that's the power of music to help us remember and to, to, to enable what we're singing to get into us. In Deuteronomy 31, Israel was about to enter the promised land. And they were, they were going to forsake God. They were going to turn to idols. So God said to Moses, Moses, teach them this song that I'm about to teach you. Teach them this song, and this is what he says. 
so that when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. Isn't that amazing? God knows the power of song. He created it. The power of song to help us remember. How many of you could quote a John Wesley sermon? I'm guessing none. I'm guessing nobody here. But how many of us could sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing? That was written by Charles Wesley, his brother. He wrote over 6,500 hymns to help Christians learn theology. And that was one of them. We remember it today because it's been passed on from generation to generation as a song. That's the power of music to help us remember. So singing together helps the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Now sometimes when Christians worship God in song, they are seeking to have not the word of Christ dwell in them richly, but musical experiences dwell in them richly. And there's a distinction. And it's seen in our vocabulary. Sometimes we can be so moved when we sing that we equate worship with singing. And they're not the same thing. I'm always I'm on a, a campaign to get us to change our vocabulary. Uh, because it is true we're worshiping God when we sing. But we're worshiping God when we give tithes and offerings. Worshiping God when we greet one another. We're worshiping God when we have someone over to our house to bless them. We're worshiping God when we give someone a ride to a place they, they, they don't have a car to get to. All of those are acts and forms of worship. And music can be deceptive. Because it can cause emotional effects in us with or without words. I want to demonstrate this for a moment. Um, so, if, if I'll just play something here. trying to communicate an emotion. What emotion do you think I'm trying to communicate? This is a Q&A. This is an audience participation. Congregation participation. Just guesses. Peace. I heard someone say peace, calmness. Yes. Over in Australia it said tranquility. Then okay, yeah, tranquility. Um, yeah. That's what I was trying to communicate. But you have no idea why I'm so peaceful. You have no idea. I, I mean, it could be, uh, you know... I don't have any tests anymore because I'm out of school. And boy, that makes me peaceful. You know, you, you have no idea. So, so, or I could play some, like, you know, real energetic, exciting music, and we can all think, or you know, we can think, oh, I'm praising Jesus, and actually I'm just, I'm loving the kick drum. I'm loving the sound of the guitar. That is great. And we can confuse them. We don't want to. Music can produce tears. I've had that happen to me. I'm listening to a classical piano song. That's why I majored in classical piano. And, um, you know, it's a Beethoven sonata. That's happened years ago. I'm just listening to it, driving my car, and also tears falling down my face. What is going on? <laughs> I wasn't that old yet, so I couldn't blame it on that. And uh, it, it was just this unique experience where the music just caused emotion to well up in me. Is that worshiping God? Not necessarily. It can be. 
And I turned it into that. I said, God, thank you that you gave Beethoven, who wasn't a Christian, the ability to write music like this that is so beautiful. That's from you. But they're not the same thing. God wants the word of Jesus Christ to dwell in us richly, not musical experience. And it's most likely that psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that little phrase there, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, is more connected to teaching and admonishing one another than it is to singing. Now you figure, well, singing, psalms and hymns, but yeah, yeah, no, we're singing, but the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the way it's structured in Greek is it's more connected to teaching and admonishing. That's what we're doing when we're singing. It's like Ephesians 5.19 that says we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which is why a lot of times I keep my eyes open when I'm singing. I might do close my eyes, but, but it's, with, it's, it's with each other. Yeah, like you guys are here, we didn't just come to be in hermetically sealed compartments, you know, just having our own little worship encounters with the Lord. Jesus, it's you and me, it's you and me. No, it's us. It's us and Jesus. We're the bride of Christ. We're the family of God. So, so that's what we're doing. We're addressing one another. Now, it's not saying that teaching and admonishing can only take place when we sing. Obviously, we're doing that right now. We might do it in fellowship as, after, the, after the meeting's over. But it does say that the words we sing matter. They make a difference. They're meant to teach and admonish. It's why we sing wordy songs. We sing some simple songs too. But why we're not ashamed of singing wordy songs? It's because they're, they're a way of teaching and admonishing one another and enabling the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. We sing about what Christ has done. You know, I've been in, in congregations where uh, the reference to Christ is minimal. It's, it's as though we're just here to, to praise God, you know, glad Jesus did something, but now we're here. No, no, no. Jesus is both the means and the object of our praise. He's both the means and the object of our praise. So as worshipers, we have the responsibility. Since this is one of the reasons God gave us to sing, why He has us sing, we have responsibilities to make sure we're focusing more on the truths we're singing than the music we're hearing. And ideally, they're meant to work together. Music isn't meant to undermine the word, but to serve it. It's, uh, yeah, so. So, worship in song deepens our relationship with God because it helps us remember the word of Christ. Now, here's the second reason we sing. It enables us to respond to God's grace. So, remember God's word. Respond to God's grace. We're singing, verse 16 says, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. With thankfulness in our hearts. There's not just a mental effect, an intellectual effect and benefit to singing. There's an emotional effect and benefit as well. That, the last part of that, that verse, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, can also be translated in grace, singing in your hearts to God. Now that doesn't mean that we're just singing in our hearts and not out here. It means it comes from our hearts. It flows. It's the overflow of our hearts. So how are we to sing in our hearts to God as we respond to His grace? Well, let me give you two ways. First is with variety. We respond to His grace with variety. We're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilled, a lot of computer keys typed on those four, four, those few words, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, trying to, to explain what they mean. And the, the reality is nobody really knows. 
We don't know. We can't talk to Paul. Uh, we don't know what they mean. But here's, here's what I think we can infer, at least. It's not the exact same thing said three times. Some people say that. Well, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are all superscriptions in the psalms. So, that, so he's just talking about the psalms. You're just supposed to sing the psalms. I don't think you can get that uh, from, from, that, uh, from this, this passage, from those three words. Most likely, there's some kind of musical and lyrical diversity in the songs we sing. Why would that be? Well, I'll give you a couple reasons. There is no single style that can adequately or sufficiently express and extol the glories of God. There's not. There's not one style that can do that. And... There's not one musical style that can adequately and sufficiently express the responses we have to this great God. There's not. Now, there are some styles that are better than others. Trying to get a congregation to sing hip-hop rap is not going to work well. It just won't. It won't be, uh, won't be effective. Maybe in certain parts of the world. Uh, certain cities. Um... But our goal is to seek to express the truth more profoundly and more fully. Not say, well, what is the one kind of music that God's like, God likes? Do you know what? I don't think anyone really knows. And I think God likes a lot of musics. He likes a lot of different ways of expressing and revealing His glory. So what that, what that knowledge does, you know, you might, like, you might be in the Psalms camp. I like the Psalms. You might be in the spiritual songs camp. Well, I like the more spontaneous, more free, more, you know. Well, the, knowing that God wants to re, us to respond to His grace with variety helps me appreciate when we're singing a song that may not be particularly my preference. And it makes me happy just to know that God's ministering to someone else through it. And that happiness I use, I offer to God as an act of worship. That makes sense? C.S. Lewis wrote something about that. I've got to find the quote because I give this message a lot. Uh, just, just say it brings more glory to God when, when we sacrifice our preferences, sacrifice our um, you know, desires, knowing that w the song that is being sung is greatly ministering to someone else in the room. That's humility. Alright, the important thing is to express gratefulness to God in as many ways as we can. Second way we're to respond to His grace is with thankfulness. We're, we're singing with thankful hearts. Now when the Bible uses heart, generally God's speaking of our whole being. Not just our voices, but thankfulness that compels us to sing. It's like when you're excited about something, you, you can't stop talking about it. That's the kind of thankfulness that Paul's speaking about here. So John Piper said, the reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotions that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. Now we can see this in our culture. That this, this 
something that compels us to sing. Something's happening in our heart that compels us to sing. You know, uh, why do we sing happy birthday? Why don't we just say happy birthday? I think in some instances that would be much preferable. (laughs) Much more preferable. Especially in restaurants, you know, when they gather the waiters together and they sing and like only one of them has any sense of a tune and you know, the rest of them just, happy birthday to you. And they're always really loud and thinking, is this blessing anyone? Is this, is this meant to be encouraging? Or why do we have Christmas carols? Why don't we just have Christmas poems? You know, can you imagine, you know, turn on your radio or whatever. Oh, hark, you know, just a choir saying, hark the herald angels say, Jesus Christ was born today. Gather round, kids, and let's play. Or, I don't know how that would end, but um, probably not like that. But don't we love Christmas carols? Isn't there something that affects us uh, about hearing those songs? And, and why do we have musicals? You know, those are weird. Musical, they are. How many have been to a musical? Okay, yeah, all right. Don't have to be embarrassed about it. Um, uh, Julie and I, not too long ago, saw Wicked, which, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, but you know, it's kind of weird. Um, you know, so, so, I forget the name, so, you know, what, what do you think about this? Well, yeah, I was struggling with my, uh, recently, and, in gravity, and all of a sudden they're singing, and I'm thinking, now why is this believable to me? Why, like, this is just odd. Um, but we accept it. Why? Because music, it flows from the heart and it touches the heart. And that's what's happening. So, so God gave us music to respond to His grace from the heart. That's what it's intended to do. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest theologians of America, wrote a book called The Religious Affections. He said this, The duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. And there is no greater reason to sing or to rejoice than God's mighty works displayed in Jesus Christ. Which is why Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Worship the Lord with gladness, come before Him with joyful songs. Now certainly there are other emotions that music helps us express. There can be sorrow for sin, repentance. There can be awe, peace, trust. But this side of the cross and resurrection, the predominant theme of our singing is going to be one of gratefulness and joy for what God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. We may be in the pits right now, circumstantially, but we know what happened 2,000 years ago, and we know what's going to happen in eternity. And you know what? That's all we need to know. It's amazing. And that's reason to sing. So God intended music to help us respond with greater joy, with greater enthusiasm, with greater gratefulness to what Christ has accomplished. And singing is a way that God has given us to divine doctrine and devotion. Intellect and emotion. Theology and feeling. Singing helps us do that. And it's important to realize that this response to God's grace isn't just about us. It's, it's one of the ways we teach and admonish others. 
Our gratefulness should show on our faces and our bodies. And let me just say, it was showing on you this morning. Most of you. I mean, I, I wasn't like taking count or anything, but um, it, 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 this, if someone walked into this room, they would say, these people are affected by something. Something has happened that they are really happy about, that they're really grateful for. And I know that because they're singing so loud and because I see it in their bodies. It's, it's just evident. It's obvious. And that's exactly what God says in Psalm 34, verse 5. He says, those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. It's, we're not hiding in our hearts. We're letting the world know we are glad that Jesus has come. We are grateful that He lived a life we could never live. That He died in our place to pay for our sins. And that He was raised from the dead by His Father. And that He is now at His Father's right hand interceding for us, securing our future. That makes us happy. And we want to let the world know. We want to let each other know. We want to encourage each other in that. So, so we need to ask ourselves, what am I communicating? When we come together to sing, what am I communicating? Through my lips, through my hands, through my body, through my face. What am I telling people? Am I telling people that it really isn't that exciting, but I have to be here because this is what Christians do. They're here every Sunday and they sing. Is that what I'm saying? Or is it, I can't believe that I know God through Jesus Christ. And that every sin I have ever committed and will ever commit is paid for. And that I am now God's chosen, precious child. And I'm a part of His people. And I am part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. And I can't believe it! It's amazing! So just, just a question to ask. What are we saying externally about God's grace as we come together to sing. It's one of the reasons why we encourage in, in, in instrumentalists to sing, you know, in the band. Because we want them, we want people to know, we're not just happy about the music we're playing, we're, we're happy about the Savior who's redeemed us. Alright, so we respond to God's grace. We remember God's word, respond to God's grace. The third reason we sing, and then we're going to sing, is we sing to reflect God's glory. We sing to reflect, reflect God's glory. Glory. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do, it covers everything, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Parallel passage, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus is a way of doing everything to the glory of God. And singing is one of the ways we do that. We bring glory to God through our singing. Well, how, how does that happen? How does our singing here reflect God's glory? Let me give you three ways. Worshiping God together in song reflects God's glory because it expresses the unity that Christ died to bring us. Now, it, it's, it expresses the unity that Christ died to bring us. It's good and right for us to sing on our own. I'll sing by myself in my quiet time or when driving in the car or in the shower or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll sing on my own. That's good. But God intends for us to sing together. Why? Well, because singing together expresses 
and encourages our unity in the gospel. In fact, one of the things I read in, in Daniel Levitin's book was that scientists have discovered when people sing together, there's actually a chemical released that gives you a sense of unity. I thought, wow, that's fascinating. So I mean, it happens, you know, at a at a, a football game when everybody sings the fight song. You know, it's like, yeah, we're united! You know, or it happened in the civil rights movement, you know. When, when people would gather and just say, we shall overcome. You know, nothing had changed, but they're singing and there's this unity happening and it's just this sense of, yes, yes, we're in this together. What greater reason do we have to sing than the fact that Jesus has made us a people? He has united us. Different backgrounds, different social strata, different looks, different intellects, different preferences. One. One. And when we sing together, that's expressed and strengthened. In fact, he says, uh, you know, we read it earlier in verse 14, Above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So our singing together is an expression of what Jesus accomplished. We're not one because we like the same music. We're one because Christ has destroyed the dividing wall that once separated us and we can't keep from singing about it. And I tell you, it reflects God's glory when you sing. Another way our singing glorifies God because all three persons of the Trinity sing. We're doing what God does when we sing. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The Father sings over us. The Son sings. Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples at the Last Supper. And in Hebrews 2.12, quoting Psalm 22.22, Jesus says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. So there's Jesus singing praise to the Father in the midst of our singing. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus sings with us. He's really the worship leader in our midst. Well, how about the Spirit? Does the Spirit sing? Yeah, I think He does. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 tells us that as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, He inspires songs in our hearts. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we're doing. It's why we're often more aware of God's presence when we gather. It's not that God, God suddenly shows up, as some, some are apt to say. Oh, he wasn't here. No, he's here. No, he's always been here. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But we can be more aware of his presence. And certainly God can display his active presence through spiritual gifts of all sorts. But when we sing together, it's the Spirit singing through us. We're, we're, we're magnifying Jesus in our hearts and minds, and so we're more aware of God's being present with us. final way that singing glorifies God, reflects His glory, is that it anticipates heaven's song. Our singing together is meant to anticipate the songs of heaven. You know, we read in the book of Revelation about these, these amazing scenes. We, we, we see them. It's loud. It's jubilant. It's reverential. It's unified. It's glorious. And we say, oh, we want to do that. But we can't. Not yet. 
And there are a few reasons we can't yet. One is we have limited time. You know, we have other responsibilities we have to get to. We just can't be in this hotel room endlessly. The people just bring in food and, you know, we'd set up the bathroom in the back and stuff. But we can't do it. Why? Because we have other things we need to do. We have limited strength. You know, we just get tired. Voices wear out. Bodies wear out. We just get tired. You have limited understanding. A lot of things we don't understand yet about God. But one day... One day we'll have enough time. One day time won't be an issue anymore. You know, we'll sing a song. I don't know, maybe a few weeks. Then someone says, Hey, you want to sing another song? Yeah! And, and it won't matter. We won't, have any, we won't have anywhere else to go. Now, I don't think the new heavens and the new earth are just going to be singing. I think there'll be a lot of it, though. I think we'll be doing a lot of things we're doing here, only it'll be a lot different. <laughs> We'll have, we'll have greater strength. We won't get tired. We won't get tired. We'll have glorified bodies that don't get tired. And, and, and well, I mean, there are times I just, I just want to have a different body because like, this body isn't enough to express praise to God and how great He is. And I figure with a glorified body, I'll be okay. Yeah, I won't have that problem anymore. And we'll have greater understanding. We'll, we'll know God. It says, we'll, we'll see Him, we'll be like Him, for we'll see Him as He really is. And we'll, we'll have sharper eyes to see Him with clearer minds to understand. And we'll know Him better. That, that day will come. What will it be like when we finally hear the voice of God singing over us? When we hear and sing songs like we've never experienced them before. I hear people say sometimes, well, you know, we'll be singing that song in heaven. Yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, nothing against that song. It's a great song for here. But when we actually see it, I don't know if that song will be enough. I'm thinking we're going to get new songs. That's what I'm thinking. Now, there's a guy who has spent a lot of time thinking about this, besides me, <laughs> and that is Randy Alcorn, who has written a number of books on heaven. And in one book, The Edge of Eternity, he, he writes, uh, he tries to imagine what that's going to be like, being in the new heavens and the new earth, singing God's praise. And I, I want to read a portion of what he wrote, because it benefits us to set our minds on what's to come. It helps our singing here. So just, just listen as I read. The army began to sing, <clears throat> perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million. I added my voice to theirs and sang the unchained praises of the king. Only for a moment did I hear my own voice, amazed to detect the increased intensity of the whole. One voice, even mine, made a measurable difference. And that would be true now too. Your voice in the midst of the congregation makes a measurable difference. But from then on I was lost in the choir, hardly hearing my voice and not needing to. The galaxies and nebulae sang with us the royal song. It echoed off a trillion planets and reverberated in a quadrillion places in every nook and cranny of the universe. The song generated the light of a billion supernovae. It blotted out all lesser lights and brought a startling clarity to the way things really were. It didn't blind, it illuminated. And I saw as never before. 
Our voices broke into 32 distinct parts and instinctively I knew which of them I was made to sing. We sing for joy at the work of your hands. We stand in awe of you. It felt indescribably wonderful to be lost in something so much greater than myself. There was no audience, I thought for a moment, for audience and orchestra and choir all blended into one great symphony, one grand cantata of rhapsodic melodies and powerful, sustaining harmonies. No, wait! There was an audience. An audience so vast and all-encompassing that for a moment I'd been no more aware of it than a fish is aware of water. I looked at the great throne and upon it sat the king, the audience of one. The smile of his approval swept through the choir like fire across dry wheat fields. When we completed our song, the one on the throne stood and raised his great arms and clapped his scarred hands together in thunderous applause, shaking ground and sky, jarring every corner of the cosmos. His applause went on and on, unstopping and unstoppable. And in that moment, I knew with unwavering clarity that the king's approval was all that mattered and ever would. And that's true today in this life. The king's approval is all that matters and ever will. We sing for the glory and honor and pleasure of Jesus Christ who has given us a reason to sing. You know, some of us, some of us have had concerns about singing or limitations because we don't think we have a good voice. We don't think we have a, 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 you know, we're not musically trained. It's just not for us. The question is not, has God given you a voice? The question is, has God given you a song? And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He has given you a song. It's a song of the redeemed for their Redeemer that goes on without end, unstopping and unstoppable. And if you don't know that song, I would encourage you to talk to someone that you came with, or uh, Jim, or Matt, or someone here, about what it means to know that your sins are forgiven, you've been reconciled to God, that you've been brought back to your Creator through the finished work of Christ and surrender your life to Him. Because He is the Lord. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I want to encourage you to do that now, today, not wait. For those of us who know Him, it is our privilege to sing the song that God has given us in Jesus Christ. We're destined to sing it in His presence forever. What a joy to prepare for that even now. So next Sunday, when you come, and I, I know this is already in your hearts, 
But let it be a reminder, next Sunday when you come, we're not just coming to sing a few songs. We're coming to remember the Word of Christ. We remember to respond to His grace. And we're, we're coming to reflect His glory as we sing. What a privilege to do that. What a joy. Let's pray.